Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 59 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. And my guest today is a former world champion in multiple promotions. She's one of the hottest free agents in pro wrestling, and she recently received a ticket to gold to be in the Ring of Honor Women's World Title Tournament this summer. She is Allison Kay. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, and um, I have my, um, we're not on video, so you can't see me, but I am waving at you with my pinky up. <laughs> I appreciate it. I can feel it. Okay. Whenever anyone raises their pinky, I can sense it. Yes, pinky's up. Um, how did that start, by the way? I'm sure you've probably been asked that question a million times, but I'll ask it a million and one. How did pinky's up start? Um, it has a weird origin, but I feel like it has come into a new meaning since. It actually started back in, I want to say 2012. I started wrestling for Shine Wrestling down in Florida. And uh, they put us in a tag team, me and Taylor made. We had never really met or worked together before that. They put us in a tag team and they named us Maiden Sin. Um, made for Taylor Made and Sin for Alice Sin, if you, if you get it. And uh, Clever. We, we, um, Taylor didn't really have her own gimmick or like look or anything. So she kind of just adapted my, my gear. She just got my exact same gear so we could match. And it was like the spike bra and these high-waisted pleather shorts. And we kind of took on like this trashy persona. And so I just remember one day saying, we should start, we should start putting our pinkies up and just playing off the fact that um, we're not classy at all, but we're kind of, you know, saying that we are, we think we are but we're clearly very trashy at that point. So that's how it started. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. And, and like you said, I guess it just kind of took on a life of its own from there. And now it's what yeah. you're, one of the things you're known for. Yeah. Well, I remember when I started with um, Impact Wrestling, I remember thinking, okay, I'm not going to do that here. No one's going to know what that is. And it doesn't really make any sense to people. I'm not going to do it. And then my first match, I go out for Impact. The I look out in the audience and I see people with their pinkies up. And I was like, Okay, I feel like I should do it if people are already doing it without me even doing it. Yeah, so obviously it was over, so you might as well go with it, right? Right. Well, first of all, I want to say um, congratulations on, on receiving the ticket to gold. And, and I have to say that I completely agree with Maria Canellis bennett that no tryout match was needed for you. That you, She said your work speaks for, for itself. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, because I think having someone of, of your stature, your standing, um, only adds more prestige, I think, and more credibility to to this tournament because you have been a champion in other places and you are a veteran. Uh, but I want to ask you about you and Maria Canellis. You uh, you guys obviously have a history together. Uh, you worked at Impact Wrestling. You were known as Sienna back then. Maria, who now, as we know, is this respectable um, member of the Ring of Honor Board of Directors. Maybe she wasn't so nice and fair-minded back in those days uh, when she was with you. Uh, on camera at least but tell me uh, what happened when uh, or what was it like when Maria I guess makes the call to you and says hey do you want to be part of this tournament well first of all thank you I appreciate the kind words um, when Maria messaged me about the tournament um, I was happy of course I knew the tournament was coming up I had heard rumors about it and whatnot and I uh, wasn't sure what the deal was but um, 
she basically texted me and was like, Hey, are you interested? What do you have going on type of thing? And, uh, I really enjoyed working with her back in impact and yes, on camera, not so nice, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I always really, I'm not just saying this. I, I really did enjoy working with Maria back in impact. I feel like she had a lot of good ideas. I feel like she had a lot of good questions when people would come to us with the script or whatever it was that they had us um, doing that day. I always feel like she had really good input and um, she seems like she has a good eye for talent and what people's strengths are. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think Maria brings so much to ring of honor, not only in front of the camera, she obviously a great presence and, and as a talent, but yes, behind the scenes, I think it's so important to have, number one, it's important to have uh, diversity backstage. And it's, so it is so great to have a woman back there who, um, you know, is getting her opinions out there and has great creative ideas because, you know, I mean, you can't, we all think a little bit differently and a woman will bring a different perspective to the table, obviously, than a bunch of guys sitting around at the table trying to book. Of course. <laughs> so it's good to have that, that diversity there. And it's, yeah, it's obviously great. Um, to have Maria. Uh, I want to ask you though, you know, Ring of Honor has always put, I guess, an emphasis on what happens bell to bell. And that seems like it's just right up your alley. Talk to me about why your style of wrestling, I think, fits so well with the Ring of Honor philosophy. And really you having an opportunity to kind of, you know, uh, create this new, be part of the creation of this new women's division in Ring of Honor. It's interesting because I feel like my wrestling has changed so much over the years. Um, my, I wrestled for Ring of Honor, actually, in 2012. That was my very first match with Ring of Honor. Uh, I was only like three years into the business at that point. I wrestled Mischief. I think that match was less than four minutes long. <laughs> actually, you're right. I looked it up in re- doing research for this. I think it was like three minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a different time. It was a different time. It feels very weird to me that I wrestled in different eras. You know, when I started wrestling, it was the end of 2008 was my very first match. And that was still like the diva era very much. Right. um, It was very common for women to have four, five minute matches on TV. And now it's just so different. And I feel like back then my style of wrestling was, I learned how to, you know, have those matches that, we see on the indies more now or on TV more now with women, but I knew that on television, that's not really what they wanted. So I had to learn how to also try to, you know, look a certain way and, and have those short matches. And I I just love that now I'm able to kind of do what I always was trying to do on the indies anyway. And now it's popular. It makes it a lot easier. Um, I also feel that my wrestling has, become much more MMA and jujitsu based now than it was back then. Even when I started training, I started training in mixed martial arts after I started pro wrestling. Um, but I didn't do, I don't feel like I did too much integration, um, because it wasn't, it wasn't really understood at least not where I was wrestling. So, um, I, I feel like I was still very heavily focused on promos and characters and storylines and shenanigans. And now I feel like I'm kind of evolving to much more bell to bell, like you mentioned. Yeah. And uh, I feel that that's very much what Ring of Honor has always been doing, at least with their men. So I feel like now is the time for them to capitalize on their 
women's division and allowing the women to do that as well. So I'm excited to be a part of that. I feel like that is a strength of mine. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see where that goes. Let me ask you about some of the women that we know are going to be in the tournament besides yourself. Uh, as of the time that we're recording this, uh, we know that in addition to yourself, the other members that have received a ticket to gold are Roxy, Trisha Dora, Miranda Alizé, and Maserati uh, was the most recent. And of course, we also know Angelina Love beat Quinn McKay, so she's got a buy in, in the tournament. How familiar are you? Uh, with these women because I again in doing some research it looks like you really haven't been in the ring with any of them to my knowledge except I, I think you had a match with Angelina many yes. years ago and where yes. it was like a, a, a eight man ta- or eight woman tag I think according to what I what I saw online but do you know anything about these other these other women that have the ticket to gold it's funny because I don't even remember what eight man tag you're talking about <laughs> I'm like was it it was it um, I know that I wrestled Angelina in Canada. I don't know if that would have been in your research, but this was a long time ago. I wrestled her in a singles match for a promotion. I think it was, I don't even know if it was Neo, but anyway, that doesn't matter. I wrestled her once in Canada a long time ago and uh, I've definitely changed since then. I'm sure she has as well. The other girls, um, no, I have not been in the ring with any of them actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, the, cl- the, most possible, I would say, was Miranda, but I don't think I've called a lot of her matches. I was doing commentary for a while right. uh, for Rise, and she wrestled for Rise Wrestling up in Chicago. So I, I've commentated a lot of her matches. I'm familiar with um, these women, but I don't. I don't think I've been in the ring with the other ones that you mentioned. No. So that's got to be exciting in a sense for you, right? I mean, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love it. I've I've been watching a lot of um, specifically Trisha Dora's work, and I'm very excited for a potential matchup with her. Well, all of them, really, of course. But I particularly, I feel like Trish has been on the rise on the indie scene, and um, someone that's newer to me, but I feel like is um, very technically sound, very exciting to watch in the ring. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm very looking forward to the possibilities, the possibilities of this whole tournament. Yes. Yes. Like I said, we only have a handful of, uh, participants that we know so far and, and it's already shaping up to be a great tournament. We still have many spots, um, to fill. I'm looking at that, uh, that eight person tag, eight women's tag, uh, back. It was at shine eight. Uh, oh, okay. Yourself, <laughs> Eva Lise. Rain and Taylor Maid, who we mentioned previously, against Amazing Kong, Angelina Love, Christina Von Erie, and your old friend and me, Mia Yim. Wow. I, it is almost scary that I am now getting to the point in my career where I don't recall. Like, people will tell me, like, yeah, you had this match. And I'm like, oh, I did? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it all runs together after a while, right? Yeah, especially with the with the multi-person tags. Those are hard to keep track of sometimes. Who was on your team? Who was on their team? And I've been with Shine since they started in 2012. So I've had a lot of a lot of matches for them. <laughs> I was surprised that you and Angelina, well, that thing in Canada that you mentioned, that didn't come up. Again, all these these database sites, none of them are 100 percent obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was really surprised impact. that you, you and Angelina <laughs> didn't wrestle more, but I guess you like you were an impact and I guess she wasn't, she was, and you weren't. I guess you just missed each other. We kind of missed each other. She did actually come in toward the end for me, for of my run, I think, or maybe toward the middle. 
she was doing, um, I don't think she was wrestling as much, but she kind of started a feud with Alicia Edwards at that time. But it was, um, she wasn't really in that like title run picture that we were doing at the time. She was in like a separate storyline. Right. Well, let me talk to you again about Maria Canellis. Um, again, I said it, it looked like you guys had a lot of fun working together in Impact. Chelsea Green was also uh, part of that little faction that you guys had at one point. She was Laurel Van Ness, the hot mess back yes, then. Yes, the hot mess my, express. Hot mess express. One of my favorite characters, I think, in recent memory was Chelsea Green doing that, doing Laurel Van Ness. Um, you guys look like you were all having a lot of fun. Well, anyway, Chelsea, I don't know if you've noticed, but she's been on uh, social media basically saying, hey, I mean, she's put it right out there. Hey, I'd love to be in part, be part of this. I'd love to be in Ring of Honor. And I know Maria has taken note. She's responded. Uh, would you like to perhaps see Chelsea in Ring of Honor at some point? Oh, absolutely. I think Ring of Honor is one of the few places she hasn't been. And right. um, I think that she brings so much, so much character and so much charisma to anywhere that she goes and any character that she plays. So I would very much love for her to be in the tournament, though it would be, it would be very interesting if we ended up facing each other, if that were the case. That would be something. Yes. You know, Take my money. As, as much fun as we had together, I've only wrestled Chelsea maybe once. Okay. Because we were always on the same team right. in Impact. That's where I first met her. And so we ended up wrestling. It was actually an Impact show, and it was in the Detroit area. Um, it was a really weird <laughs> – it was such a like, random one-off show taping, whatever they were doing where like the ropes fell off of the ring. It was a, it was wild, but we had a lot of fun that day with the ridiculousness that was going on. So the ropes came down. Was it during your match or what happened? Um, They didn't come down during my match, but they were like, the top rope was completely loose. It was just flapping. Like in the match before us, um, someone tried to do a springboard and they, it was terrible, but it it had something to do with the ring that they were using. Cause you know, a lot of times, when promotions will travel, they'll use someone else's ring sometimes. Sure. So it was like a local ring they were using, and it was just a whole thing. I don't even know what happened exactly. I just know it was almost a disaster. Wow. So I guess that's – you really have to adjust on the fly. No no uh, bouncing off the ropes. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, no uh, no Irish whips in this match. What are we going to do? <laughs> no, my whole match is Irish whips. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no clothesline off the ropes, right? Right, nothing. No um, – good thing I don't – um. I don't ever climb the ropes, so I didn't really have to worry about it. Right. Let me ask you about Max the Impaler. Have you gotten a chance to see Max? Max has had a couple of matches on Women's Division Wednesday. Uh, no ticket to gold yet. I have a feeling maybe that's going to happen somewhere down the line, but uh, this could potentially be a, a, an opponent for you. What do you, what do you what, what's, your, what's your take on Max? Yes, I have seen Max. Um, I am surprised that they haven't gotten a ticket to gold yet but I would not be surprised if they do down the line. Um, Very impressive, very, very scary, but I'm no stranger to scary. So that would be a very interesting matchup as well. I'm familiar, but I've never wrestled. I've never wrestled them before. Yeah. I mean, I could see um, you've been described as a, as a powerhouse and certainly Max would be described that way. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it would be very interesting because I, I feel that in the past I've been, booked as a powerhouse or like even an impact I was like the bodyguard but if you put me next to people who are like really big I'm not that big I'm tall 
but I'm not that big. Right. But, but at the same time, for the majority of my career, I have um, been up against very small women. So I think I just take on that role naturally, but it, it, it's all relative. <laughs> well, I think you are taller probably than most of your yeah. opponents. I'm like 5'10", so I mean, that's pretty tall, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Then I stand next to people who are like real powerhouses, and I'm like, oh, damn, I look like. <laughs> <laughs> or like even an impact, uh, speaking of impact, because we're going to talk about it so much, of course, with our history with Maria and Chelsea and all that, but like um, there would be times where I would be wrestling, and I would be going out to the ring with Maria and Allie, and they're in these giant heels, and I'm in flat shoes because I'm going to wrestle, but when I'm in flat shoes and they're in heels, they would be as tall as me or sometimes taller. So it would just look off a little bit. So you got to be like, Hey girls, you're killing the gimmick here. You got to get some flats. Can you right. take off your shoes for this promo, please? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's the old, you know, thing why, you know, wrestling companies never want to hire um, backstage interviewers or anything that are, that are tall, right? Because talent's supposed to look big, not the backstage interviewer. Right. Or the refs. It is interesting when you see a ref who is really tall and you're like, Oh, I can tell you like probably were a wrestler at one point. And it does, it does make you pay more attention to the ref. And I guess you're not supposed to. So that's why they want to like hire someone who's not going to distract from the match. That giant ref. When you do that backstage interviewing thing, you know, you got to kind of do the, You've probably seen this, I'm sure, backstage when doing promos. If, if it's a taller backstage interviewer, they're asked to kind of do that open stance, almost like a squat down kind of thing. So oh, they, yeah. Yeah. No, we, we would actually do that sometimes in our, in our backstage segments where Maria and Allie would take off their shoes. But then when they're going out to the ring, they have to wear shoes. So they would have these heels. And if I were, if I were able to wear heels, I would just be taller than them because I am naturally. But I had to wear my shooters because I was going to wrestle. Exactly. Yeah. Probably not too good in the high heels in, in the ring. Yeah. I've seen people run down the ramp in heels. And let me tell you, that is very impressive. That is something I don't think you'll ever see me do. Yeah. I saw Mickey James. I swear to God, I, I think it was Mickey James who did something like that. Did a run yes. in with heels and was like, unbelievable. Yes. Like, how does she I do? Recently, Kimberly, I think was take, she was in the ring and got attacked. She was wearing these heels. She took a, like a, um, like a DDT, I think. Something where I was like, girl, I would never. (laughs) Those shoes would have got kicked off so quick. Right. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break. We are just getting started here. So much to talk about with Allison Kay. We'll resume our conversation right after this. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Ender the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. And I'm Tia the Wizard. And if you want to see us try to attempt to rob a boat, check out Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Allison Kay. She has received the ticket to gold. She will be participating in the Ring of Honor Women's World Title Tournament this summer. Um, Allison, I want to talk to you about something that's affected everyone, obviously, which is the pandemic. Um, you were under contract, I believe, with the NWA when the pandemic hit. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I've asked literally every guest we've had on this podcast because the podcast started right when the pandemic first started. So uh, obviously, that's been a big, big subject uh, of discussion. So what was your experience like? You're, you're a contracted performer with the NWA. 
pandemic hits, everything shuts down. Uh, what, what's your experience? Like what happens to you at this point? I feel like I cannot complain based on what other people have experienced. Um, not that other people's experiences negate yours, you know, just because someone had a worse time doesn't mean you didn't have a bad time, but, um, relatively, I feel like I was very fortunate. So, um, I, yes, I was contracted with the NWA. We shifted to just doing basically YouTube content at that point. Um, they started a show called Carneyland, which was kind of like our own little sketch show. And honestly, I was having fun with it. I just was taking it to ridiculous levels. I started an elderly politician character <laughs> <laughs> named, um, what the hell was her name? Esther. I don't even know if she had a last name. But anyway, um, yeah, I did like uh, liquid latex on my face and made myself look old. I got this wig and this old like, Kentucky Derby hat. Like I, I was going all out with it for these sketches. I was just having fun. And then that all got ended up getting nixed anyway. But um, yeah, I was under contract up until I want to say October 2020. Okay. And uh, we came to a mutual agreement basically that I could be let out of my contract a couple months early. So I could go work the indies and whatnot, which is a whole thing in itself because we were working in the indies under contract and then um, they kind of changed their minds that they didn't want us to anymore. But just the pandemic affected us financially. You know, Um, our pay was, I think almost all of us took a pay cut during that time. And uh, it was just a situation where I needed to go. I needed to go make money. I needed to pay my bills. And so they let me out of my contract a couple months early. And yeah, now I'm here. (laughs) So how many months was it that you were actually not physically inside of a wrestling ring? It would have been, my last match was actually in Hawaii of all places. And you know, the beginning of 2020 was just magnificent for me. And (laughs) like, oh, this is going to be the best year ever. (laughs) It really started off amazingly because our NWA Hard Times pay-per-view just went so well it was amazing and that whole set of tapings was just so much fun professionally and personally we just were having a blast and then i went to hawaii for a week i wrestled there it was just such an amazing time and yeah so i mean at least it started off good i have really good memories in the first two months um so my last match was end of february so from march until september i was out of the ring okay so that's i'm gonna guess that's probably – well, I know you had a health issue, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I guess uh, – was that the longest you'd been out of the ring? No, the it wasn't. It was more – that health issue you're referencing okay. would have been probably the longest since I started wrestling. So this – the pandemic put me out of the ring for like six months-ish. Okay. Now, are you going stir-crazy at that point, like just itching to get back in the ring? Or are you enjoying the chance to let your body heal up a little bit from the constant pounding? Yes and no. I, of course, was itching to get back in the ring. I was missing the, the traveling as much as I hate the act of traveling. I do love visiting new places. Um, but, I mean, I missed my friends and I missed, it was really just not being able to go see my family, things like that, and see my friends. And that was really, I would say, the hardest part. But I did enjoy healing. Actually, I totally forgot about it for a while in the beginning of the pandemic, um, my wrist was really bothering me. 
in December of 2019. I remember I wrestled in Alaska and I remember telling someone there about how my wrist was kind of messed up and I was taping it um, much more than I normally do to try to keep it stabilized. And so I was having wrist pain in wrestling and also in my training and that totally healed just from not doing anything for a couple months. Like, what do you know? All you needed to do was rest. Like people tell you to do. Right. <laughs> so I did enjoy healing up little nagging injuries like that little minor injuries. Um, but I also, I wasn't going that stir crazy because I really threw myself into the online content and just like, so doing things on social media, doing things for my Patreon. Um, I own a home up here in Michigan. So I was doing a lot of like outdoor projects. I built a patio. Like I installed a patio myself in my backyard. Damn. <laughs> so I was busy. That's impressive. I mean, I'm not going to lie. My brother did come to help for a little bit of it, but I did the majority of it by myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the online content and um, I want to talk to you about that, but I got to, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm an older guy, right? So I don't, I don't know these things, right? I don't know Twitch. I know you have a Twitch channel. Isn't Twitch basic? And you, you can correct me because I'm sure I'm wrong. Isn't it mainly people watching other people play video games? Is that the main point of it or am I completely off? So I think that's how it started. But Twitch, it's new to me as well. I wish I would have started during the pandemic. I don't know why I didn't. But I think it's because I also had that idea that, oh, you have to play video games if you're on Twitch. Really, it's just a live streaming platform. Okay. The live streaming platform, people can subscribe, they can tip you on, on your stream. And uh, you, people do all kinds of things on there. There are people that are sitting in hot tubs, just collecting them tips. So <laughs> yeah. it's, that's what's up. Okay. So I don't know. I wish I would have realized that during the pandemic, because that would have been an even more opportune time to start something like that when I couldn't be traveling and other things. Okay, so I looked on your social media, and I, what what is educate me on what hot girl Twitch? Oh, jeez. So that's <laughs> that's kind of what I just mentioned. So okay. since I'm new to Twitch, you know, I'm on there studying, I'm watching other streams, and I'm seeing what other people are doing. And the person who got me into Twitch in the first place is Zicky Dice. He is the person who made me realize you don't have to play video games on Twitch if you want to okay. stream. And I was like, okay, you're on there just entertaining, like you're just doing a live stream, and people are tipping you, like this sounds great. I'm going to try this out. And so as I'm looking and watching other streams, you know, I just like in wrestling, I always try to go outside of the box a little bit. I don't just want to get my influence from other wrestlers. Sure. I don't want to just see what wrestling people are doing. I want to see what are the most popular people on Twitch doing besides video games? Like what are the most popular quote unquote, just chatting categories? Um, and one of the things a lot of girls were doing was the hot tub streams and they're like sitting in hot tubs and they're just chilling, sitting on a floaty, you know, collecting money. And so I'm watching them and they're just fascinating to me. It's actually a pretty controversial topic right now on Twitch. Um, they just made their own category for pools, hot tubs and whatever else beaches because they have guidelines where they can only wear, you can only wear swimwear or something so revealing if you're in a contextual setting, like a beach or a pool. So these, people found a loophole basically where they can sit on a stream in a bikini if they're just sitting in a pool. Okay. And um, I just find it fascinating. And of course there's a lot of hate toward it for many reasons. There's a lot of misogyny getting thrown out there. Um, people that are just calling these, these girls lazy and desperate. And I'm like, hold up. 
they are capitalizing on a market that there is such a high demand for, and they're making so much money. They have so many viewers and you're calling them desperate instead of savvy, you know, like they're being, I think it's smart. They're not doing, if they're doing something that they're comfortable doing and people want to see it and they're making money, like don't hate on them. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) I made, I kind of started as a joke and I was like, I want to join this like hot tub, hot girl. What is this? Hot girl Twitch. You know, a lot of people, there's a phrase going around. I don't know if you heard, you mentioned you're older. So hot girl summer, you might be familiar with, you might've heard on Twitter, but um, so I kind of just dubbed it hot girl Twitch, which I don't think anyone else even calls it. I think they call it hot tub meta or like jacuzzi meta streams. Okay. And I kind of jokingly was like, yeah, I'm going to join this. We're going to do this. And then we ended up like, I set it like a really high sub goal, like 500 subs in a month. And if I hit this, I'm going to fly my friend Marty Bell out. Who's another wrestler who would also be a great addition to this tournament, by the way, Um, fly Marty Bell out to Detroit and we're going to join hot girl Twitch. And it was kind of like silly and fun, but then we hit the goal and I was like, Oh, okay, we're going to do this and whatever. We're going to have fun with it. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Hey, I don't, uh, I don't judge. I tell you, if I could, uh, if anybody cared to watch me in a hot tub, you know, I would, I would do it. But I, I don't think you I'd make a lot of money. That's, I that's... think more guys should do it. I, I joke all the time to guys at my gym, they'll joke about OnlyFans, and they'll, they'll make jokes about it all the time. And I'm like, look, a lot of you are jacked. A lot of you have like washboard abs. If you made an OnlyFans, you'd be raking in the money right now. And you oh, could do like jujitsu tutorials and whatnot. Like it doesn't just have to be photo shoots. You can put whatever content you want on there. You decide. It just right. has a stigma with it. Like OnlyFans has a stigma that it's just going to be like nudes or something. But right. you can make it whatever you want. I don't even have an OnlyFans. I just have Patreon. But I, I tell them, I'm like, I swear more guys should do this. You would make money, but you're scared. You're afraid of what other guys are going to say about you. I think you're right. I think you're Which right. is so funny, especially with MMA fighters. I'm like, Y'all are, none of you are afraid to get like punched in the face, but you're afraid of what other guys are going to say about you. <laughs> right. The, the ego, a little bit more fragile than, uh, you could take a punch on the chin, but, but the ego is a little bit more, <laughs> more, more susceptible. Uh, well, okay. The thing with Patreon now, I, I think I've heard you talk about this before. This is something that, um, you can communicate more directly with your, I think you called them like your real hardcore fans. And this is a place for you to uh, interact with them. And you, I, and I know I heard you say this, you don't have to worry about anyone trolling because clearly they're your fans and they want to be there. Yeah. I mean, there's always a potential for trolls. You never know how far they're going to take it, but no, um, yes, Patreon is basically a third party platform for like a fan club. And actually when I started my Patreon, I remember there were people that were saying stupid things to me on Twitter about it, kind of like trying to shame me for it as if it were like, I don't know, some like uh, cam girl site or like, you know, nudes or something, which even if it was like, what do you care? But it's not. Um, And I'm very clear with that on my Patreon. Like there's no nudes on here. So don't sign up thinking that there's going to be because I'm not giving you a refund. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a third party fan club and you decide what your tiers are. So what are you offering? How much are you charging for it? And that's it. And they're the third party website that allows you to do that and manage it pretty efficiently. And I, it's funny because the same thing is for OnlyFans. OnlyFans is a third party website where you decide what content you post and how much you're going to charge for it. It just has a stigma that goes along with it. Right. Patreon is now more accepted and it definitely had a big boom during the pandemic when people needed to find another way to make money when they couldn't go out and perform 
And so, I mean, there are people on Patreon and OnlyFans alike that have, they're just doing like cooking lessons. You know, it's not just like photo shoots or whatever, but um, I just think it's a very smart way to, to run a fan club. And yes, when you have that, I guess people call it a paywall. Sometimes they'll use that like in a derogatory way, but I don't think it is necessarily. But when you have that up, you're going to have less trolls because when people troll, they want to do it for free. I've actually had one person sign up to my Patreon to be a jerk. Um, they, it was something where like when I first started my Patreon, I had like a follow back option cause I didn't know what to offer for different levels. I've right. taken that off since cause I just don't want to follow a bunch of random people that I don't know. But, um, uh, they signed up for my Patreon to like force me to follow them. They were just being a real jerk on Twitter and they were like, I'm going to make you follow me or something. I don't know. You can refund it. So I just immediately refunded it, but I've only had one person do that so far in like four years of having Patreon. It is, I don't know whether the word is sad or scary that there are some people who will go to those lengths to try to upset another person. Like, yeah, it's weird. People it are real weird. They really, like, yeah, why would you, I mean, I, you know, you see the random trolling obviously all the time, uh, but just think, man, why would somebody take it to that level? Like you certainly have to have something better to do with your life. But well, that's the thing. I think that they don't. <laughs> I think they do. They should. But I think that when people are, when people act that way, they are absolutely hurting yeah. on some level. And I've learned that much more recently, or I guess I have been applying that much more recently. I've always known, but I've just been more aware recently that when people say things like that, or even just troll on Twitter, they are hurting in some aspect of their life. They're hurting because people were all happy in their life, they don't, they don't do things like that. That's true. That is definitely true. Well, I know, you know, even like somebody like me, who's been a writer for a long, long, long time, I've uh, worked in, you know, I used to work for the newspaper back in the day. Anytime you, you put your name out there, you put your byline on an article about anything, you're going to get people coming out and criticizing you. So I've gotten used to that, but, and I'm sure somebody like you, it's just, you know, who's more in the public eye, it's times 10 with anything that I've experienced. But what I've learned is, and it took me a while, I learned the hard way, is that the trolls want you to engage. Oh, yeah. So the best thing, like when you engage, that's, that's, a, that's a home run for them. So like the best thing you can do is just ignore them. Like that's, that's what I learned to do was like you just don't engage and, and their trolling has failed because they wanted a response and didn't get it. That's something that I have learned with experience over time as well. Yeah. So going back to the impact – that is where I had probably, that was like my first taste of having a lot of eyes on me at once. And so I know that a lot of the girls there as well have had similar experiences where you start to experience a lot of the trolls because now you're much more in the public eye yeah. and they just come out of the woodwork, you know? And before, so I, I, I obtained the moniker Sienna the Savage from impact because I would just go off on people all the time on Twitter. I would just roast people to the point where I actually started doing, because they were pre-taped episodes, I would start doing um, like live tweet alongs basically while impact was airing with some hashtag. I don't even know what it was probably see on the savage or something, but asking people to volunteer to be roasted. So if they wanted to be roasted to send me a picture of themselves on Twitter and people would do it. And so it was in a context where you know, I wasn't being a bully. They were volunteering. They thought it was funny. They're participating. And I would, I would never go that hard on them either, but it was like something, I don't know, almost a way to like, 
take control of the trolling, if you will. Yes. So it's like, y'all want to be trolls? I'm going to be a troll. I'm going to start roasting people. But I have learned through that experience over time that there, you definitely have to pick and choose your battles. So there are times where I feel like, no, we shouldn't just sit here and be silent. You should be held accountable for the dumb stuff you say. You know, sometimes you got to like clap back. Sometimes you got to put people on blast or use their, their stupid line of thinking as an example of why this is wrong. But right. then I'd say for the majority of the cases, ignoring is the way to go, but you have to pick and choose. Yeah, I think that's, that's also good advice. And um, certain times, you know, they just catch you, even in your head, like in my head, I'll be like, yeah, not going to respond. But they catch you on that certain day when you just are like, all right, like you said, I'm going to put, <laughs> I'm going to roast somebody here. Well, I think it's better to actually do it when you don't feel emotionally invested. So like if they say something and you're just like, this is incorrect and I'm going to use this because I hear this a lot. This is something a lot of people say and I want to use this as an example to show no this is not okay. Or no, this is incorrect. Um, as opposed to like, they just piss me off and I'm going to go off. I say, if you feel emotional about it, write it out, give it a day. If you still feel strongly about it the next day, then tweet it. That's how I, that's what I do for myself. That's so that, like, again, yes. Good advice with, um, social media or even sending an email or a text or anything like that. Oh yeah. I have so many drafted tweets. Sometimes <laughs> I uh, actually screenshot them and I post them to my Patreon so they can see all the things that I almost tweeted. <laughs> That's great. This almost <laughs> went out, but I didn't hit send. Thought about it. Um, let me ask you a little bit. I, I like to always get people's origin stories, I guess, for lack of a, of a better word. So um, you grew up in, in Detroit, is that correct? Yes. So at what age... Did you become a wrestling fan and how did you discover wrestling? I know that my dad watched wrestling a lot when I was a kid. I don't remember any specifics though. Like I know I watched with him as a kid. I remember sitting in the living room and watching wrestling, but I couldn't even tell you who was on the TV. So I know that it was like introduced. It was, it was subliminally implanted into my brain from a very young age. Yeah. And then I remember becoming a fan when I was like, probably like 10, 10, 11, my siblings and I, and my cousin, started watching wrestling. I actually started watching WCW before anything else, um, at least at that age. And um, I was an Attitude Era baby. So we were very much at the peak of like the Monday Night Wars. We're flipping through the channels. You know, we go back and forth between, between Raw and WCW. And um, that was where I became like obsessed, <laughs> like just completely obsessed. Were you watching WCW like the last year of the company, 2000, 2001? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, you were, so you were the one that was watching. Okay. I was I, the one. <laughs> I remember, like, I remember the watching when um, they did like the live satellite feed or whatever. Shane McMahon was like purchasing WCW, like that whole thing. I remember that and just like freaking out. Like me and my siblings were just like losing our <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this or not, but I've been holding it in. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can, we'll just bleep it out. Okay, I'll try not to then. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so, so I worked for WCW that last year. I was, I was the editor of WCW Magazine. Okay. Uh, yeah, I started in March of 2000. And in March of 2001, like one year later is when WWE bought the company and, and like put us all out of work. So it was like, yeah. I was so happy to get that job with WCW and it literally lasted for a year. I was there. Uh, Panama City, uh, Florida, that night when um, when Shane McMahon walked out. So wow, that's so cool. 
Yeah, some bittersweet memories from back in there. I bet. I can only imagine. That's the stuff that I fangirl over. I feel like <laughs> anything from like that area era, it really is like 1999 to like 2001, I'd say was like peak obsession for me. Okay. Like just what? getting, I don't think I got WCW magazine, but I did have um, the WWF magazine, the Raw magazine, and I would like yep. rip off all the covers. I wish I, I wish I didn't, but I would rip off all the covers and put them like as a border around my ceiling in my room. And I would take all the posters out, of course, and then I would cut them up and put all these, like my walls were just so intricately collaged. <laughs> well, I could send you a collector's item, the very final edition of WCW magazine. Must oh my gosh. Worth, must be worth at least a buck on eBay or something. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm just impressed that you made it through because obviously lots of people tuned out by 2000. Uh, we were not doing too well in the, in the Monday Night Wars uh, at that point. But Yeah. Well, you have to remember, I was also like 10 or 11, so I didn't really care about that. I was just like, sting or whatever, you know? Right, right. You didn't, you didn't realize probably how, how horrible the product had gotten. At that <laughs> oh, there's a lot of wrestling that I go back and watch now, and I'm like, oh, those <laughs> favorite people of mine weren't very good. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a wake-up call once you kind of figure things out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but let me ask you though. So, so at what age do you decide that this is something that you want to do for a living? Like what age do you like, all right, I want to, I want to give this a try. Oh, it was right around that time. I would say like 11, 12. I remember just being like, I will be a wrestler. That's all I, that really is all I've ever wanted to be. Um, which sounds kind of funny sometimes. Cause I'm like, there are probably more important things in the world. I could have, I could have tried to be like a doctor or something, but I'm like, nah, wrestler. But that's just really I never wanted to be, you know, like a princess or never, like, you know, typical like kid things, sure. whatever they want to be a firefighter, which is obviously more important than being a wrestler. But the pro wrestler is whatever is the only thing that I remember ever wanting to be. And it was right around that age, peak attitude era, like 11 years old ish. And just being like, I will be a wrestler. And I remember telling my mom about it and she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like you'll grow out of it. That's what they always say. I did though for a little bit. When I got to high school, I got much more involved in sports and, um, you know, just like social socializing and trying to keep up with friend groups and whatever. And I kind of fell out of wrestling for a little bit. That was like 2003 ish. So between like 2003, 2004, and 2007 or eight, I was kind of out of that picture. So what got you back into it? I remember thinking kind of like what I was just saying about like, this is the only thing I ever wanted to be. Like I was, um, I think I was in college at the time and I hated all of my classes. I, there was nothing there that I wanted to major in. I was going to university of Michigan. I was just like, why am I here? Like I'm here because I, you know, am told this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to college. And I was just there taking classes just because, and I just had that moment where I was like, Pro wrestler is the only thing I've ever wanted to be like ever since I was a kid. And I started watching it again, just out of curiosity. And I just obviously got hooked. Right. And then off to the races and here you are now. Right. You mentioned that you got into playing sports. What, what is your athletic background? I started playing volleyball when I was in seventh grade. And it's funny because I had no interest in joining any sports in school. I wasn't necessarily shy, but I was very quiet. And I would, I was just kind of like, um, more like keeping to myself. Like I mentioned trying to keep up with the friend groups or whatever, but that, I guess that was kind of part of it was one of my friends 
kind of pressured me into starting volleyball in seventh grade. And I ended up playing all throughout to my senior year. I ended up being like rookie of the year, my freshman year. And I was MVP and captain my senior year. And um, I mean, we didn't have like a crazy good team, but still um, volleyball throughout my entire junior high, high school career. And then in ninth grade or maybe 10th grade, I started softball for a similar reason. I had a friend who wanted me to join. And so I joined and I ended up outlasting both of those friends, by the way, like my friend who got me into volleyball. She, I think she never played volleyball after seventh grade year. And then my friend who played softball, she didn't finish high school playing it, but I did. And um, I played tennis one year for same reason. I had a friend who begged me to join with her and we were like doubles together. And I, but I'd never played after that. It was, it was fine, but volleyball and softball were, were okay. very fun for me. Well, volleyball, you we probably were natural. They like tall girls for volleyball, right? Spike they do. Them. They do. But um, <laughs> even though I'm tall, I've never been. And I, I'm tall and I've played sports all throughout high school, but I have never been like a super, I've, I always say I've never been a super athletic person. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm very graceful or very agile. And I think that's why I really adapted well to MMA, even though you, you know, having agility and grace will help you. I think I have grit and I'm a little rough around the edges. And I think that is also why I've adapted well to pro wrestling. So where I, what I lack in athleticism <laughs> or like agility I think I make up for in just being rough and, you know, I'm not afraid to get hit. I'm not afraid to hit hard. And I think that's why I like MMA as well. And jujitsu for that matter. Um, But like even playing softball and then on top of softball, I was playing baseball in a summer league with my brothers. It was like one of those leagues where they had four teams and each team had one girl except for one, I think. So there were three girls in the whole, whole thing. We're just playing baseball with these boys. Um, Like I've never, minded that type of stuff but I wasn't like fast you know I'm like running the bases in slow motion but I'm, I just like keep with it I'm just persistent with it and actually in baseball I broke my collarbone which you know baseball is not supposed to be a full contact sport but um there was a play where the shortstop I was on first base the shortstop threw the ball way too far ahead I was too focused on the ball I ran in the base path I got trucked basically and mm. I think I was like 16 years old And, uh, when I got up, I couldn't lift my arm all the way. And I tried to, you know, the coach is like, all right, you know, we get a break for a second. We can just throw the ball back and forth to like shake it off. And I couldn't lift either of my arms all the way. And it was because my collarbone was snapped in half and I didn't even know. I I just knew that I couldn't lift my arms, but because it was a clean break, I didn't realize that like, I didn't, I wasn't in pain. I, I, I can't imagine I wasn't in any pain, but I just don't remember feeling that pain. But anyway, I had to, I still have a metal plate in my collarbone to this day from that broken, from the broken collarbone. So I think that just kind of goes into what I was saying about like, um, I, I feel like I've always been a little rough, always had that grit, that grind, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, for sure. If you're coming out of, uh, was it, the, was it softball or baseball that you had that got? where I broke my collarbone was baseball. And I had to finish that game. We only had nine players and that's the minimum that you need to play. So they stuck me in outfield. What? Finished the game with a broken collarbone? Yes. Yes. I didn't know. I I had no idea it was broken. I just knew I couldn't lift my arms, which is kind of weird. And I'm sure I was like sore or something, but they just stuck me in outfield so that I most likely wouldn't get a ball. And I think like one got hit out that way, but the center field came to help me. Um, Yeah. So I was like, I was trying to throw like whipping, whipping my arms sideways (laughs) 
it was really weird. But yeah, then I went to the hospital and had a broken collarbone. So well, I did have to finish that game. And I feel like that was like a um, prelude to when Mia Yim broke my nose in wrestling. Oh, I was going <laughs> like, to get to that. I was gonna get in like 2000, I think that was like 2011, 2012. Mm. And I, we finished that match. Like in the very beginning of the match, my nose just exploded everywhere. It was broken in three places. I had a huge gash. I was bleeding everywhere. And um, I remember she was calling to go home and I'm like, no, I just could not imagine stopping the match and walking to the back. That just seemed so embarrassing to me. So we just finished the match. And was this the first time you and Mia had wrestled each other? Yes. That was our first day that we met. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's quite a quite a get to know you yes wow and so i know well you know what i want to talk more about about that about mia but let's let's squeeze in our second break here and then we'll uh rejoin that conversation right after this hi i'm quinn mckay the host of ring of honors weekly youtube show week by week join me every tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking roh news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite roh stars we also have some great weekly segments like question of the week this day in history and brian zane's top five join me every tuesday at 1 p.m on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week all right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Allison Kay. Before we went to the break, we were talking about Mia Yim, who I know you've referred to as your frenemy. Uh, since we were talking about volleyball, I know that Mia was also a very accomplished volleyball player. Who was the better uh, volleyball player between the two of you? Ooh, that I don't know. I think she might have played in college. I don't know if that's true or not. She did. But if she did, I would say she was probably the better. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I think I mentioned to you, I mentioned it earlier that I used to work for a newspaper, the Baltimore Sun, and I did a story on Mia when she was working the Indies. Uh, she had been with Ring of Honor and she was doing some stuff in Maryland for Maryland uh, Championship Wrestling. And I found out that she was uh, a college volleyball player first, who then got into wrestling. And so I did a story on, on her and her volleyball background. So that's how I knew she played volleyball. Yeah, I can't remember which school it was. I think it was a school in the D.C. area. Yeah, that sounds about right. I know I actually uh, intended to try out for the volleyball at University of Michigan, but I ended up um, trying out or, or looking into the tryouts way too late. Like I had no idea they were trying out so early and I'm like, oh yeah, they take this seriously. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just random high school, whatever. So Mia, as people probably know, uh, used to, she did some stuff in Ring of Honor back in the day. She was part of uh, the embassy. Um, and of course, you know, obviously she's in WWE now, but I know, again, we talked about the history that you have with her. You guys have basically wrestled each other all over the country and you even wrestled in, you wrestled her in China too. Is that, I was going to say all over the world. All over the world. So is it, did you guys just like have, I mean, obviously things didn't start off great with the broken nose thing, but did you just, did you guys just have chemistry and, and you thought you, you'd make a good, you'd be good for each other, working with each other. And that's, how this happened or did promoters just always match you up? How did, how did that become, she become, you know, such a rival? I would say, yes, it had to do a lot with chemistry, but I do feel it had a lot to do with that first match. Um, Her breaking my nose, I feel like really set that all in motion. That was for AIW girls night out. I want to say girls night out five. And we ended up feuding because of what happened. So we took something that was really happening and the promoter was like, yeah, we're going to turn this into a thing. And so our next match at Girls Night Out 6 was a fans bring the weapons match, which I believe is on YouTube. And then 
the girls night out seven match was a cage match for their women's championship, which I won by the way. But, um, (laughs) that sort of, I remember the promoter telling us that he felt like our incident and our feud put girls night out on the map and put us on the map. I feel like it gave us a lot of street cred. And, uh, I think from there, people just knew about our feud. And so we ended up wrestling together in shine. Well, we both were wrestling for shine. So I think it was just kind of natural for the promoter to be like, Oh yeah, we'll put you together. I know we wrestled singles in shine in Florida, but when we went to China with the WWN group, which was, we were representing shine. It was me, Mia Yim, and then two other girls. So we all basically like round Robin wrestled each other on that tour. And then, um, we, I feel like we've only had a handful of matches, but we, it, it's always gone back to that feud. Like we're always referencing that feud, like frenemies, like we get together, we're friendly, but then also we hate each other and we're like our toughest competition. And then she ended up being my opponent in the Mae Young Classic when right. I did that in 2018. So that all kind of came full circle. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. The second Mae Young Classic back in 2018, there's your first round opponent is Mia Yim. Now, was that a coincidence or did they also know about your history and thought that it would be great to put the two of you together in the, in the first round? I'm not exactly sure. Um, I'm not sure. I was just so happy that she was my opponent because that was my first match back after my health scare in 2018 where I was out for like eight months. Right. So um, I was not able to really get into a ring prior to that. So eight months out and then I'm wrestling for the man classic. And so uh, I couldn't have asked for a better opponent, right. someone that I am familiar with. And, you know, we've, we know what works, what doesn't. Um, I'm not sure if it was on purpose or not. Okay. Well, yeah, like you said, though, and we're going to, I want to, we've been hinting about talking about your, um, your health issue and we'll talk about that next, but I guess what you said was, I mean, obviously she was the perfect opponent for you coming off that layoff. You couldn't have, I mean, certainly you probably, I don't know if you had any concerns, um, not being in the ring that long and all that, but then here's, here's this woman that you've worked with so many times and obviously have a relationship with. I'm sure that must've made it just so much easier uh, as far as nerves or anything else that was going on. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know what would have happened if I was with someone for the first time, because yeah, I, I definitely had concerns coming back because I wasn't able to like warm up really. Um, I wasn't cleared. I was like cleared at the last second, basically. So I almost didn't even wrestle for the man classic. One of the alternates was going to take my place if I couldn't get cleared in time. And, uh, it came down to the wire with like, I needed a doctor's note. Um, my doctor's office was having such a ridiculous issue at the time where I don't know, they had like a power outage. You couldn't send it to me. It was wild. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, I made it this far and then they're going to like take me out. But, um, I ended up getting it obviously cause I competed, but I almost didn't compete. And so because I was waiting for this like last doctor's note they needed, I couldn't get in the ring even to like practice anything before the man class, like, like, like the two or three days that we were there, all, everyone else is in the ring, you know, going over stuff and, and warming up and practicing and, or lifting or whatever they wanted to do at the PC. And I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get in the ring. I couldn't touch weight until I got this letter. So um, I basically went into it like cold and I feel like it was okay because of all the experience that I've had, like all of my experience has led up to that point. And it was, I feel like it was for that reason, you know, right. like if I didn't have all that experience, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have went as well. 
Well, we should let people know because we've sort of danced around it, but the, um, the health issue that you had is that you were diagnosed with blood clots in your lungs, which I'm sure was, that's an incredibly scary thing to hear yes. from a doctor. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about that experience? And again, I'm sure you've probably talked about this in other interviews, but for the sake of people who maybe don't know your story. Yeah, for um, sure. When did it, when did this happen? And, you know, tell me about the range of emotions that you go through when you hear something like that. So what had happened was it was um, January, 2018. It was at an impact taping. I started having like a, a pain in my rib and like my back. And I thought I twisted a rib or something was out of place or I pulled a muscle in my back. So I wrestled for like a few days and then um, I ended up having the doctor on site look at me and he's like, well, you're definitely not, um, it's not a broken rib. It's not a fracture. Like you would be, you know, jumping off of my table if I was pushing on your rib like this and it was fractured. So it's not that take, take some Motrin. And if you don't feel better tomorrow, go to the hospital because, you know, obviously he can only do so much on site. He doesn't have like an MRI machine there to do it. So, um, it was actually that same night. I think what happened was the motion wore off and I was in so much pain that I was like, almost like killed over. And one of my friends, long story short, took me to the hospital. She was starting to think I had a collapsed lung because I was having trouble. Um, I could breathe, I could inhale, but I was having a very sharp pain at the top of my inhale to where I could not fully inhale. And so um, she was thinking maybe collapsed lung. And I thought that was like worst case scenario. And then uh, I go to we get to the hospital, they did a CT scan. So I don't think that I fully understood the gravity of the situation, even when the doctor came in and told me that I, there were blood clots in my lungs. Um, but I remember the doctor that came in was not the initial doctor that I was talking to. It was another guy. And he was very, like the way he was talking was so sullen, so like apologetic that I was like, are you like telling me I'm about to die? Like I legitimately thought, for a second that he was giving me like three weeks to live or something oh the way he was saying it. And like, yeah, blood clots are very, very serious. And even I just didn't realize it at the time, but the way he was talking was like, Oh my gosh, he's like, we're going to admit you right away. And so um, of course my friend that took me to the hospital was like freaking out and uh, we had tapings the next day, but obviously I, or, or I shouldn't say obviously, cause it's not obvious with wrestlers because wrestlers are crazy, but um, I did not go to tapings the next day. <laughs> um, and I had to like, you know, message him and be like, Hey, um, I know this is going to sound crazy, but this is what happened. And so I was in the hospital for like three days, which I don't know, doesn't sound that long actually, but three whole days, I feel like I just slept for 72 hours straight. And, um, you know, the nurses, I, uh, just wake up every now and then when the nurse was coming to check my vitals. Um, I remember asking the people in the hospital, like, should I be getting up and walking around? Like, don't you have to walk when you have blood clots? But it just wasn't that type of situation. They were like, no, you need to rest. And so, um, of course, I'm looking up, you know, stats about blood clots. and Like, what is the deal? What is the, how serious is this? Which is a terrible thing to do. Like, you don't go on WebMD when you're sitting in the hospital. <laughs> terrible idea. Not recommended. But I'm looking up the symptoms for blood clots and all this stuff. And one of the things I read was like, usually like 70% of the time or something, don't quote me on those stats, but like um, the majority of the time, the first symptom for uh, blood clots in the lungs is sudden death. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, <laughs> you know, so it's very, very serious. And uh, I was out for a long time because I had to be on blood thinners. And there was a period where 
I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to wrestle again because we had to see if the blood clots were being caused by my body, in which case I would have to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life, or if it was uh, best case scenario caused by an outside factor that um, won't be an issue so that I can stop taking blood thinners, which the latter was the situation, thankfully. Um, because yeah, if you're on, if you're on serious blood thinners, if you get hit in the head and your brain bleeds, it's not going to stop. Yeah. You know, if you get cut, it's going to be very hard to stop it. So like, it's very, very, um, it is not wise to wrestle on blood thinners. And I know like, it's pretty common in wrestling to take like a low one, like an aspirin sometimes. Um, but not these, not the medical grade, not the high grade blood thinners. It's very, very dangerous to wrestle on those. And, um, basically it, it, we ended up determining after like months and months of testing and blood work that it was likely caused by, um, a medication that I needless to say, am no longer taking. So it hasn't been an issue since, but I still am I'm paranoid all the time. I take baby aspirin before I fly, even though my hematologist said it's not necessary. I still am just paranoid about it. Right. It makes you feel better to do it. Yes. Well, that this must have been just such a uh, incredibly scary time. I mean, were you thinking about, okay, if, if I can't wrestle anymore, like, uh, what am I going to do next? I mean, did, did those thoughts come into your head? Oh, yeah. Um, I really don't feel that I will ever leave the wrestling business. I feel like I'll always be involved in some capacity. But so this is 2018. And that's actually when I, I had mentioned earlier, I started doing commentary for Rise Wrestling in Chicago. And that's why I wasn't able to wrestle. Rise was usually taping before Shimmer Weekend, and uh, I would come out to do commentary. So I found like a new groove almost in that sense. I really enjoyed doing commentary, and I don't do it as much anymore because I'm now much busier actively wrestling, but I really do enjoy commentary. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I know that you've done commentary, and I think you know you, you cut a good promo. Uh, you seem very natural and confident uh, when you're speaking. Is that something that you always had or is that something that you felt like you've developed over the years? I think it's developed. I think, I know I mentioned I was quiet in high school right? and I remember having to do speeches for college or whatever. And I just remember being very nervous to go in front of the class. I remember feeling that. So I don't think it's something I've always had. It's something I had to bring out of me. And I remember when I first started training, my trainer was talking about the it factor and charisma. And I remember him saying someone in my training, I don't know if it was my actual trainer or someone who was like running a class was saying how you either have it or you don't. And I remember that feeling really devastating to me. I remember being like, Oh, that sucks. Like, well, what if you just don't have it? Like you just don't. And that's it. But I understand what they mean. And I do understand that, you know, the it factor is that's something different, but when it comes to like charisma and cutting promos, I do think it's something that you can develop. Yeah. Even if you don't have like a necessarily natural charisma, I do think public speaking and cutting promos is a skill you can learn. So um, I don't know whether I have it or not or had it or not. I guess that's kind of um, subjective, but I definitely think that it's something I developed over time or at least like brought out of myself through practice and really just gaining confidence in general. Right. And obviously in this business, it's so important because a lot of people can do the moves, right? But it's like having a character, uh, being able to speak well, uh, you know, the old talk them into the building kind of thing. 
um, obviously that's a very important part of the equation. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to many people in the business who said, yeah, you know, the wrestling was the easy part. It was the, it was the promos and the learning the character and all that. Um, the, the psychology, like that's the hard part. Yeah. Well, and that's in that sense, I feel that maybe I was like backwards because I felt like the wrestling came more difficult for me um, than the speaking. But I think that's just because I don't know, it kind of goes back into what I was saying about how, I don't feel like I've ever been like super athletic or like super agile. So I just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to take my strengths and I'm going to amplify them. And one of them was talking at that time, at least more so than the wrestling, especially when I was first starting. I know that you've spent some time, uh, some significant time uh, wrestling in Japan. Um, Any good stories that come to mind from your time in Japan, whether it's uh, has to do with wrestling or even maybe something with the culture. I'm sure, I'm sure some kind of uh, funny story or something must've happened in Japan. Oh yeah. Um, man, where do I even start? <laughs> so my first tour of Japan was in 2013 and I was there for about three months and I was rooming with Serena Deeb, Sarah Logan and Jessica James, who's a wrestler out of Texas. And I feel like we just had such a good group. And I, that was, that to this day is one of my favorite experiences I've ever had in my career, or maybe just my life in general, I would say. Um, I was nervous to go back to Japan in 2019. Cause I was like, man, nothing is going to top my first experience. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to taint that experience, but it didn't. It was also a great experience, just much shorter. But anyway, um, let's see in 2013, we did so much during that time. So much. So a random story, one time we were out on the weekends um, in Shibuya, which is, I guess, kind of like a party city, if, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to call it. And uh, it was, we were living in Kawasaki City, and the last train to Kawasaki was at 11 p.m. If you miss that train, you're stuck wherever you are until five in the morning when the next train runs. And so we ended up um, not really paying attention to the time. You know, we're out drinking, we're having fun, we're just walking around the streets of Shibuya, and we missed the train. So we were like, well, <laughs> we're stuck out here until five in the morning, so we might as well make the most of it. And um, we ended up passing this photographer in the street, and he was taking photos of this, uh, what looked like a white guy holding an American flag. So, you know, he's posing with this flag, and we're like, you know, a few drinks in at this point. <laughs> And we're like, yeah, we're like, we recognize that. And so we like run over there and we're like talking to this guy. He was white, but he wasn't um, English speaking. (laughs) He was maybe like from Germany or he, maybe he spoke like Dutch or something. I don't really know, but he was not speaking English and he didn't understand us. And so, um, but he's holding this American flag. And so the photographer who's Japanese actually spoke English. And he explained to us that the American flag was like super hot at that point, like very hot fashion in different countries or like in Japanese, I don't know, whatever he was trying to explain to us was that the American flag was real trendy at the point in fashion. And so turns out he was, um, well, let me, let me, let me start with, I'm not going to, I don't want to give away the ending yet. So he told us, um, oh, you should come do this photo shoot we're doing on Saturday or whatever day it was. Cause we told him like, yeah, we're wrestlers. We're here for wrestling, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you should come be a part of this photo shoot. I'm doing this big um, collaborative photo shoot. And it's for like a high end, whatever he's doing. Like he's some high end photographer. And we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Probably a serial killer. 
but sure, sure. We'll come to your thing, whatever. We exchanged um, line numbers. Line is an app that's really popular in Japan. At least it was at the time um, to communicate kind of like WhatsApp, but mm-hmm. um, very popular in Japan. So we exchanged numbers there. We look him up. His name is Leslie Key. And we looked him up when we got back to um, the dojo. I mean, we, when we got back the next day and finally woke up, because we got back at like six in the morning, but <laughs> we finally got that next train. But we ended up looking him up and he was legit. And we're like, oh, he's like an actual, like well-known photographer here. He was very controversial, I guess. He did a lot of like nude photography, um, a lot of like controversial photography, but he was legitimately doing this like high-end photo shoot downtown Tokyo. And uh, Jesse, Jessica James and I were like, all right, we're going to go, let's go do it. And we were like, hopefully we don't get kidnapped. And we um, ended up doing this, this photo shoot. We walk in, it's like this huge studio. Like everything was so professional. Like if you picture a montage of someone like pretending to do a high-end fashion photo shoot, that's what it was. <laughs> like the whole setup, just how he was photographed, how he was taking these pictures. He's like getting down on his back. He's like, it was just very, it's funny to think of, but it was a very fun experience. Like he had a makeup artist, a hairstylist there. We ended up, um, I think a lot of the people in his photo shoot for that, it was called super love. And the theme was like, whatever people he was bringing together for each shot, everyone was incorporating this giant scarf and a lot of them were nude. So they would have like the scarf, maybe they wrapped it around themselves. Maybe it was just in the picture, but a lot of them were nude, but we're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So, um, we ended up like, I think I picked Jessica up in like a Samoan drop. Like I had her on my back on my shoulders. Cause we were like, you know, we're wrestlers. We'll do a wrestling thing. And I think we wrapped the scarf around my, my like upper body. And then I wore shorts, but he ended up Photoshopping the shorts, like super, super tiny. It looked like I was wearing like this little G string, but I wasn't like in real life. I was wearing like, like little boy shorts, but he Photoshopped it to look like more sexy, you know? I have that picture still to this day. I have it framed somewhere. I don't have it up on the wall, but I have it. And it's just the most random experience that I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know why it happened. <laughs> a great story. Now, how's, has this photo been made public? Has anyone seen this photo? Um, I think I've posted maybe a picture of my picture because I don't think I've ever found like a digital copy of it. Okay. I think, um, I know I've seen pictures from his exhibit if that's even what it's called. I don't remember his, um, what are they called when they do like an art? Is it an exhibit? It's an exhibit. Yeah. Okay. Well, he did. Um, I saw pictures of him there at the exhibit and all the pictures all around of all these people with this, you know, incorporating the scarf. I tried to find our picture and I think I found one where you can see it in the background. But other than that, like, I don't know how big it got in Japan, but it wasn't really a thing that got big, like in the States, but it was definitely a unique experience. And I'm glad we didn't get kidnapped. I was going to say that when you were describing it to me, it sounded like the plot to one of the hostile films. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. And I don't know if it's because we're wrestlers and we're just used to like meeting strangers. And, you know, even when we go to bookings in the States, it's like sometimes this person is just contacting you and is like, hey, I have a promotion. I'll pay you this much. Do you want to come out here? And you're just like, okay. Like you don't know who's going to pick you up from the airport sometimes. Right. It can be very, very sketchy. So I think we're just used to that and like used to like being, you know, cautious and, you know, always watching our back and keeping our eyes peeled. You know, you know what I mean? Sure. Absolutely. Well, that, that, that is a good story. I was, I was waiting for, I, w- I figured it was, a, it had to have a happy ending because obviously you're 
until you're talking to us. But yeah, a little sketchy in the beginning there. <laughs> Definitely. All right, well, we're going to take our final break now. And then, uh, Allison, if you're up to it, I know you've already answered a bunch of questions, but would you like to answer 10 more? Sure, why not? <laughs> All right, so we'll be back with 10 questions with Allison Kay right after this. This is the prestigious one, Joe Hendry, here to tell you about shophonor.com. That's the new location to go to for all things Ring of Honor merchandise. We've got an amazing selection with the prestigious Ring of Honor logos, but also we've got merchandise for all your favorite Ring of Honor stars. So go support the company, go support your favorite wrestlers, shophonor.com. I'll see you there. Hey, Honor Nation. Check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences, or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Allison Kay. Um, it's been a wonderful conversation thus far. You and I have never crossed paths before, so it was great to actually sit down and, and get to talk to you. And um, I'm very looking forward to you being in this women's tournament this summer. But now it's time for, before we let you go, a little game we like to call 10 Questions. Allison, are you ready? I'm ready. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? My bucket list, being an ROH champion. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> that's good one. relevant. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully maybe crossing that one off the bucket list soon. All right, question number two. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? A subject I would like to know more about. Um, to keep it light, I'm going to say uh, cars. I know that sounds random, but like I know nothing, nothing about cars. And I would love to like have that, that ability to just like work on my own car. Okay. Well, you built that. What'd you say? You built uh what did you build in your backyard? A patio. Patio. Much different. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Who knows? You're, it sounds like you might be me mechanically inclined. I don't know. I, I think I'm competent. I'm a competent person. Just never got into it. Can you change a flat? I probably could, yeah. I don't think I ever have. Okay. All right. Well, good to know that you could if you needed to. <laughs> All right. Question number three. This is, this is right along the lines of uh, what we were just talking about. Question number three. Do you have any hidden talents? Is there something you're good at that maybe we, your fans or you know, people don't, don't necessarily know? It's not necessarily hidden to like my my super fans, but I think a lot of people probably would be surprised when they find out I speak Spanish. Okay. You it's not part of my it's not part of my heritage. I just learned it when I was young. Okay, that's a good thing to know these days. Yes. Tell my kids that they they could either learn French or Spanish in school. I was like, what are you going to do with French? You know. <laughs> it's All very right. useful. Very useful. Yes. All right. Question number four. This is a deep one now. If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure, living or dead, who would you like to sit down and talk to? Frida Kahlo, hands down. 
Frida Kahlo or Salvador Dali. I would love to just listen to their insanity. Yes. Wow. Very good. All right. Question number five. What's something that's popular that you don't see the appeal of? Ooh, you want my hot take on hot takes? Absolutely. <laughs> something popular that I don't see the appeal of. Oh man. I feel like there's so many options that I don't even know. I'm blinking. Mm. I want I was going to say TikTok, but I think TikTok has evolved from what it was in the beginning. Like at first it was just really bad lips, lip syncing and terrible dancing. Yep. So I did not, I did not get on the hype. I don't have a TikTok, but I do see people using it for better things now, but I'm just going to say TikTok. Okay. Well, that is a very popular answer when we do the 10 questions. Okay. Yeah. I think the most popular answer to what's popular that you don't get is TikTok. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. You're in good. A lot of people have said TikTok. <laughs> I right. see the evolution. I see where it's going and I, I, I'm okay with it now. But before I would say TikTok. Okay. Yeah, I'm still not on the TikTok train yet. But then again, as we've established, I'm old. It's probably not for me. All <laughs> right. Question number six. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, do you believe in the existence of the paranormal? I do not believe I've ever had an experience. I do sort of believe that it's out there. I'm very fascinated by it. I'm a huge horror movie fan. I'm very morbidly curious about like the alleged haunted places around Michigan, mm -hmm. um, like Eloise, but I have never had the experience, but I've also been told by people that I think I trust enough that they have. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's real. I think it's out there. I just haven't experienced it. And I don't know that I really want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is, let, let me ask a uh, part two, I guess, of question number six, since you mentioned that you're a fan of horror movies. I'm a huge horror movie fan myself. What's your favorite of all time? Oh man, um, favorite horror movie? I feel like I answered this not too long ago. I feel like I change my answer on this every time I'm asked. <laughs> um, I am a huge fan of B-horror. I really love low budget, like crappy movies. Mm -hmm. um, not crappy to me, but I could see where other people are like, what the hell is this? But there's a, I don't know if you are familiar with B-movies at all, but there's one called Blood Diner. And it's not very well known, but it is hilarious to me. And I just love it. Okay. I am not familiar with that one. <laughs> now I think I need to check it out. Blood Diner. Yes. It's mm -hmm. from 1987. And it's more like a, a comedy. It's kind of like a, what was like the first slaughterhouse or like first, sla not first slasher, first um, scatter. Was that what it's called? Film. That was like, um. I want to say it was from the 60s. It was the first time they ever did something really, really gory, and I'm blanking on what it was called. Your slasher? Not slasher. Um, like the first, um, like they call them like splatter movies, where oh, it was like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. Like the gore. Right. I yeah, forget I'm what not, it's called, but it was I'm supposed to be, it's kind of like uh, making fun of that movie, but it is a horror movie in itself. Okay. That's almost like Evil Dead kind of thing? A little bit, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now I'm going to, I'm putting that, I've written that down. Blood Diner. <laughs> and also I apologize in advance if you're just not into that type of humor and you're like, what is this? <laughs> I like some pretty weird stuff. So I okay. think, I, yeah, I'm not easily offended or anything like that. So yeah. Not I, even offended. Just like, it's just kind of silly. So okay. if you're like looking for a serious horror movie, I wouldn't recommend that one. Gotcha. But okay. so just so you know what you're getting into. Okay. All right. Question number seven. What's the first concert that you attended? 
Oh my gosh, this is a funny story in itself, but I'll keep it short because I know this is supposed to be like sort of rapid fire-ish. Um, I My first concert I think I ever attended, that I recall anyway, was actually a Guar concert. And yeah. if you're not familiar with Guar, I, I, I recommend have, Googling. Yes, I've seen Guar. Okay, um, but the best part about this is um, I was probably in my early 20s. It was after a Shine show. We went down the street um, in Ebor. They were playing in Ebor. And I had no idea what I was walking into. <laughs> People were just like, let's go to this concert down the street. I'm like, all right. And we walked into Guar. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> we have walked into hell. <laughs> and I hope you didn't get too close to the stage. No, actually. So a funny story is um, it was I went with um, Bailey and Bailey and I didn't know. We weren't familiar with Guar and didn't know what we were getting into. But like we were with Leva Bates, Jessica Havoc, um, Sue Young. And Leva or someone got us all white t-shirts. Like, we got to wear these white t-shirts to this concert. I'm like, okay. And they they were all, like, up in the mosh pit area, like, up at the stage, just getting sprayed in the face with all this, like, fake blood. And Bailey and I were, like, in the corner in the back. Like, we don't know what's happening. I'm wearing flip-flops. If I walk on this floor, it's all wet. I'm going to, you know, like, blow my knee out. <laughs> and so, like, Bailey and I both have, like, a, the tiniest little drop of fake blood on our shirts at the end. And the other girls were just like drenched from head to toe. Like their hair and their shirts were all pink and we were like completely clean. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't imagine like when I went to see Guar, I was, I, I knew what I was in store for. I can't imagine going to the show and having no idea what you're about. That must <laughs> it definitely made it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the white t-shirts probably should have been a, a red flag. Yeah, I, I didn't really, I don't know, because it's Ebor. Ebor is just like wild in itself. I, I can only imagine how many people walked into the Shine shows and thought the same thing. Like, what the hell did I just walk into? Because <laughs> people, we were on 7th Ave, so like you just walk into whatever buildings. There's so many shows and so many bars and things going on down that street. So you yep. just walk down the street and like, oh, what's this in here? Oh, these girls are throwing each other off the top rope. Like, what is happening? <laughs> So you learn to just take it all in stride, no matter what you see. Yeah. Like you're not, whatever you see on Ebor, in Ebor, you're not surprised by. Gotcha. All right. Question number eight. What's the last TV show that you binge watched or you, or one that maybe you're currently binge watching? If you do that sort of thing. The last one that I binge watched. Um, well, the last one that I, their last series I just finished is zero, zero, zero. I don't know if you're familiar at all. I'm not familiar with that one. Um, it was pretty good. The last one that I remember binge watching and being obsessed with was Ozark. Mm, okay. Yeah, I know a lot. Of, I haven't seen it myself, but I know a lot of people have talked about it and recommended it. It was one of those shows that people just kept recommending and I'm like, oh, like whatever. I think it was during the pandemic, actually. I think that's the last time that I sat and actually like binge watched the whole thing through. Okay. Um, but they people just kept recommending it so i was finally like all right i'm gonna try one episode and see how i feel about it and that, that's all it took that's how you know they got to get you in the first episode 100 percent. all right question number nine did you have a celebrity crush growing up uh yeah i had so many oh my gosh so many that i don't even know where to start <laughs> <laughs> what's the first thing that comes to mind when i say Man. celebrity crush i remember and I don't even know why, but I just r randomly remember having a crush on Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> and I don't even remember really watching many things with him in it, but I think he was just like always on the magazines, like the little teen heartthrob magazines. Didn't he show up at a WrestleMania at one point? I have no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised. Where I think he did. 
he looked like if you look at the boys back then they all just looked the same they all are just like they all have these bowl cuts you know i don't know it was just that was just the one i chose i remember i don't even know if it was a real crush or if it was just one of those things where like i don't know if you ever did this or if it's like if most people ever did this when they're younger but like sometimes your friends just talk about like oh this is my crush this is my crush and you just pick one you're like all right this is mine i guess <laughs> i guess it's jonathan taylor thomas sure yeah totally hot okay all right. See, I thought maybe you were going to go with like a Corey Haim or a Corey Feldman, one of the Corys. No, I feel like they were a little bit before my time. Okay. Like, um, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, they were around, but a little bit before my time. So I would say JTT. Okay. Well, I tell you, you should you should Google Jonathan Taylor Thomas and WrestleMania. Okay. I'm going to look it up. He did, he did actually appear at one of the WrestleManias. All right. Question number 10. The final question of 10 questions. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given about the wrestling business and if you remember who gave it to you oh boy um i don't remember who gave it to me but i feel like it's kind of <laughs> i'm thinking of so many different things right now but um i'm trying to think of if i can remember like someone specific giving me advice hmm I'm going to say, I cannot remember who told me this, but I also think it's kind of generic, like more, I'm sure multiple people have said this, but I just remember like one that kind of stuck out early on was like, keep your mouth shut and your ears open. Sure. I feel like a lot of people say that. I remember one time <laughs> I was laughing because I remember one time some guy that came to do a seminar for us early, early on told me and the one other girl in the class specifically said, keep your legs shut and your ears open. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. Thanks for just aiming that toward us and not anyone else. That's fair. <laughs> I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot of that. Uh, in oh, yeah. Business. Oh, yeah. That's a whole separate podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's one we won't get into today. All right. Well, we've, that's, the, that's, that's the end. That's the end of 10 questions. That's the end of all the questions. Um, Allison, bef before I let you go, uh, where can, uh, where can your, I know we've talked a lot about Twitch and, and Patreon and all those things. Where can people find you? Yes. So my Instagram and Twitter are still at Sienna until, <laughs> until Instagram allows me to change my handle because it won't for some reason right now. Um, you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison K. My Twitch is twitch.tv slash the Allison K. And actually I have a website. It's allisonk.com and that has all the information on there as well. All right. Outstanding. Well, Allison, again, I, I want to say it's, uh, it was great to talk to you today. I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this. Really look forward to seeing you in the women's tournament this summer. And um, any final words uh, for the Ring of Honor fans uh, before I let you go? I am very excited for this tournament this summer. I'm very excited to anyone, any of the ROH fans that have seen me over the years, especially if you've seen my couple um, random appearances in ROH, I'm excited to really show what I can do. And I'm excited for all the women that are going to be in this tournament to do the same. All right. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there today for listening and remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday 
on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.